What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's episode is a Q&A, just like every Friday. Today, we answer a lot of good questions, talking about collagen, talking about fasting, talking about being injured and not being able to train in the gym. We touch on what I would tell the world if I only had 30 seconds to provide a message to the entire planet, which let's be honest, that doesn't happen. I need at least 30 minutes. So I went on a little bit of a rant, but I think you guys are going to enjoy that. Um, We talked about optimizing a bro split. So having like Monday, chest day, Tuesday, back day, so on and so forth. Um, Can you optimize it? And and if you can't, what should you do to change it? We answered a lot of great questions when it comes to training and nutrition today. Um, And we threw in a couple random ones. Like I said, the message to the world. We even talked about if my house was burning down, what the hell am I going to do? So we talked about some random stuff, but it's a really good episode. Jam-packed information. So grab a pen, grab a paper, get ready to take notes, get ready to learn. And of course, like always, guys, take a screenshot of the show, share it on your story, tag me at Cody.BoomBoom on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, wherever you go most for social media. Please share the podcast. It's our best way to grow this and get more and more people involved to get more and more people better results completely free. And we appreciate it so damn much. Plus, I love being tagged by you guys because it shows me who's actually listening and I get to interact with you. So once again, please share this on your story and tag me at Cody Boom Boom on Instagram. Before we get into the show, I do want to make one quick reminder, guys. We launched the recipe guide this week and it's Friday, which means this is the last day for you guys to get it on sale. It's only $17.99. There is a link in the description or you can go to boomboomperformance.com slash recipe dash book. Inside this book, which is titled 101 Macro-Friendly Meals, you're going to get access to 101 recipes for both breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks, post-workout meals, low-carb meals, high-carb meals, high-protein pro- meals, and we give you the macros for each and every single recipe in the guide, which is the biggest key component, the biggest benefit because a lot of us love tasty meals, but they come in these paleo-style cookbooks, and we never really know how to enter them into my fitness pal. We don't know how they can be implemented into our diet. We don't know the portion sizes. We really don't know anything about them besides that they taste really good and they got a ton of ingredients and it makes it really difficult to fit in. Well, we solved that issue. We also solved the issue of portion control. We also solved the issue of boredom. And we also solved the issue of lack of variety in our diet. See, we work with a lot of people and what we notice is that a lot of people fail in their diet simply because they are not consistent. And we know this. Consistency is the number one key to seeing results. But let's go deeper than that. Why don't people get consistent? Why can't people stay consistent with their diet? Well, number one reason is because they're not liking their healthy food choices. They don't enjoy the meals they're eating, partially because they're not creative enough, but partially because they don't know how. Most of you guys don't understand how to create a meal that fits within your diet, whether you are following a keto low-carb diet or a high-carb diet or if it fits your macros or paleo, whatever it may be. Most of the time, we get bored because it's plain and simple and we just avoid eating the healthy food we need to eat eat because we don't like it. Well, we solve that issue by creating meals that are actually tasty, that actually fit into your diet, no matter what diet you are on. We also gave you 101 options. So we solved the issue 
of not having enough variety in our diet, which we know is healthier for our gut microbiome. But we also know that going back to that boredom factor, you will get bored as hell if you eat the same thing over and over again. So guys, we solved all the issues you need, um, including portion control. That last one, like I said, if you do not control your portions, if you not, do not look at quantities, even if you're not tracking macros, we need to understand are we getting enough protein? Are we getting foods and meals that actually have good sources and good amounts of fats, carbs, and protein, so on and so forth? Calories matter, guys, whether you track them or not. So we solved all these issues. We wrapped it up into an ebook that gives you 101 recipes, and then we even created a Facebook group to make sure that you had extra access, extra instructions and directions, and extra help if you have any questions about nutrition or about these specific meals along the way. That was a mouthful, guys, but I'm so excited about this recipe book. And starting next week, the price goes up, so this is your last chance. Once again, it's only $17.99. If you want to grab a copy of that for yourself, there's a link in the description, or you can go to boomboomperformance.com slash recipe dash book. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to this jam-packed Q&A. First question comes from Rhiannon. Rhiannon Healy, this is, these, are, uh, these first few are from Facebook. So Rhiannon Healy says, if you had 30 seconds to send a message to the entire world, what would you say? Well, I can't deliver any message in less than 30 seconds, so I would just sit there. There wouldn't be a message. It's impossible. Second question comes from, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'll answer it. So... Um, if I had 30 seconds, man, that is a, it's a short timeline. You're killing me with that. Um, give me 30 minutes at least to talk to the whole world. Come on now. I got so much to say. Um, so if I had 30 seconds to send a message to the entire world, what would that message be? My message to the entire world, if I had 30 seconds, I'm looking at the clock right now. So three, two, one, go. I would tell the world that Everybody has a choice, both positive and negative. How you decide to live your life, how you decide to react to everything, how you decide to look at everything, how you decide to go about each and every single day, how you decide to think and process and treat people. Every single decision in your life comes down to a positive and negative, and that choice is 100% up to you. That was exactly 30 seconds. Um, but again, I don't know if 30 seconds does it justice. And the reason I chose that, um, number one is because my first thought was changing the word. I can't, but I just did a full podcast on that. So I didn't want to repeat that message, but I think that might be, might be my thing is just telling people, you know, can't is just a make made up story in your head and you can do anything you want to do. Um, you just have to eliminate the word can't. If you won't do it, it's a different story. That's the inability. The, the un, you just do desire not to. You're unwilling to do the work. Um, so removing can't from your vocabulary would probably be one of my messages. But the reason I chose positive over negative, and, and I'm going to go into this because you can't get my mind going on this and tell me 30 seconds cap. Come on now. I got, I got to elaborate a little bit. So the reason I chose that is because that's kind of how 
I try to look at my life. And I think I learned that from somebody else way back, whether it was a book, a speaker, a mentor, somebody who led me. Um, there's no way I just one day just decided to start living my life positively. Like nobody is that that uh, <laughs> that perfect, right? We all have negative thoughts. We all have scarcity. We all have fear. We all have doubt. The thing is, is it, it really is a choice, you know? And that's why I preach positive focus so much is because, you know, everything in life happens. It is what it is. 90% of the time, we can't control that. It literally is what it is. So it's up to us to react a certain way. And we can choose to react or respond. We can choose to react negatively, throw a fit, get stressed, get anxious, get overwhelmed, create anxiety, let it fuck up the rest of our day, which leads into fucking up the rest of our week, which leads into messing up the rest of our month. And it's a cyclical cycle because every time something negative happens in our life, we let it get to us. We let it consume us. We let it create all this overwhelming stress. It's bullshit. There's no reason for it. Shit happens. It is what it is. I think too many people sit there and dwell on it. They sit there and and let it affect every other aspect of their life. They let it dictate the decisions they make in other areas. They end up making negative choices, negative decisions. They end up creating more stress and living their day stressed, which it bleeds into, again, your weeks and months. It's a problem. But if you choose to brush it off your shoulders and look at the positive, what can you control? What is going well in your life? What's the positive outcome of that situation? As shitty as it may be, what's the lesson you learned? And as soon as people actually realize that positivity is a choice... Everything in life changes because you begin to respond differently. You begin to take different actions throughout your day. You begin to show up as a different person. Your energy, your persona, the actions you take, the smile on your face, your mood, your productivity, everything changes. Positivity is 100% a choice. I choose to be positive. I choose to focus on the good things in my life. I choose to search for a positive in every negative aspect, in every negative situation that happens in my life. I choose to find that lesson so I can create a positive outcome, even from the shittiest things. Bad days, bad months, anything. So I think the biggest thing for me to tell the world is, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there. There's a lot of negative stuff happening in our lives, in the world in general, that we just can't control. But it's up to us to not let it bleed into the rest of everything else. And I think it seems like a pretty simple topic, right? Like positive versus negative. But I think most people assume things just happen to them and they can't control it and it is what it is and fucked up the rest of my day. So, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to, you know, fuck that. You have so much choice, so much time, so much opportunity to act and to create positivity in your life. It's insane. And I just it, it baffles me. It's how many people decide to be negative. To let negativity overcome them. And choose not to focus on positive choices. Positive things. Positive outcomes. Why? It's just it, I, I can't get over it. I think if everybody just, just chose to be positive more often. Let shit go. Maybe that's the message. Let it go. Nothing good ever happens to holding on to grudges, 
holding on to hate, holding on to anger, holding on to sadness, holding on to failure. Good things only come from positive choices, positive outcomes, finding lessons, choosing all of the above, choosing the positive outcomes, the positive actions, the positive people, the positive environments, the positive choices, positive actions, finding positive lessons. It's all a choice. You have to choose to do it. You have to act on this stuff. And I'm just repeating myself now, but it's just so mind-blowing that people don't choose more positive outcomes. If you want to change your body, if you want to change your business, if you want to change your relationship, if you want to change your mindset, if you want to change your spirituality, if you want to change anything in your life to improve it, you have to choose to take action. It's not going to just happen. It's not going to be handed to you. You're not going to find it. Well, you will find it, but you got to search for it. It's not going to come to you. So I think the biggest lesson for people is choose to be positive. Choose to do the work. Choose to make a change. Maybe it's choice. I keep changing my message right now. Maybe it's choice. Just telling people that you have a choice, period. Anything you want, you can choose to do it. You just have to actually choose to take action. I think too many people just sit around and expect things to happen or, or assume that they can't happen because it's difficult. Because negative things are in their life are holding them back because they have all these excuses. But the reality of it is you're just choosing not to take action. You're choosing not to step forward. You're choosing not to respond. You're choosing not to find positivity, to find the outcome. So my message to the world is choose, make a choice, be positive. Can't is not an option. There was like eight messages in one. But that's my, my message to the world, Rhiannon. Question number two comes from uh, – I'm going to apologize now because I know I'm going to butcher this. Khadija Ashraf, due to a recent injury unable to train at all – due to a recent injury, I'm unable to train at all. Went from lifting four to five days per week to no weight training at all and slow walking one to two miles per day at max. How do I adjust diet so in six months to a year – when I'm able to train again, I don't have 30 pounds to lose first. Um, you know, this one, I, would, I mean, to be honest with you, for lack of uh, science or cool strategies, create a calorie deficit. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the best way to do it because at the end of the day, if you're not training at all, you just do not need as many calories. If anything, it's the perfect time to create a calorie deficit. I would personally probably go a little bit higher protein to make sure that you're maintaining as much muscle mass as possible because as we know, one of the best ways to maintain muscle mass in a calorie deficit is to bring protein up a little bit. Uh, so one gram to 1.2 grams per pound, depending on how much you weigh. Um, if you have a lot of weight to lose, then maybe not that much, but get enough, if not just barely more than enough uh, protein because I think that's a that's going to be a big driver to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, stimulating muscle uh, maintenance, and you're going to want to do that while you're on a diet. I would probably drop carbs pretty significantly because um, carbs can speed up the aging process. Carbs can be inflammatory to some people, and carbs are primarily used to store glycogen so you can perform better. So if you're not training, you're probably not going to need that 
that glycogen, you're not going to need those carbs. Um, fats, you're going to want to keep around because a lot of them are anti-inflammatory and they're very necessary and, and crucial for um, central nervous system stimulation and hormonal regulation. So you're probably going to want to keep those around. Um, because you're a female, I'm not a huge proponent of intermittent fasting. But for some people, I would recommend intermittent fasting here. The reason for that is because – and maybe – you know what? You could do it once a week maybe uh, for the purposes I'm going to say. There's a couple things here. Now, one, if you were a male, I'd be more likely to recommend daily intermittent fasting for anywhere between 12 to 18 hours because it can reduce inflammation. It can improve insulin sensitivity. Um, You're going to be more easily able to adhere to a – a lower calorie diet, a calorie deficit. So it just makes sense. Um, but a lot of women don't do well for hormonal purposes, hormonal reasons, cortisol reasons um, with intermittent fasting. It's just what I've seen in my practice and it's what I've heard a lot of experts in the medical field talk about as well. Um, there's not a lot of studies done on women intermittent fasting, but data does show that daily intermittent fasting um, or I should say experience um, it usually points to the idea that it's not the best thing. So I would probably just go with a higher protein, lower carbohydrate, moderate to high fat, caloric deficit-based nutrition plan, and just follow that. Walk as much as you can. There's nothing more you can do. Double down on sleep. Double down on stress management. Just focus on recovery. Um, That's going to be the best thing. Like You're not going to be able to lose a ton of weight during that time, but you can definitely avoid gaining weight. You can easily maintain. And I've helped plenty of people during medical leave, surgeries, injuries, whatever it may be, maintain their weight very easily by dropping carbs, um, increasing or just keeping fats at a moderate level, keeping high protein, um, and just moving to the most ability, just moving in general. Um, now, what I would recommend is fasting once a week, maybe even once every other week. You can do anywhere between 20 to 36 hours, uh, anywhere between one once to four times per month. I wouldn't do more than 24 hours if you're doing it once a week, um, but if you're doing it once a month, then you can push it to 36 plus hours if you want. But basically what we're trying to do here is really stimulate the, the high demand benefits, not demand, high uh, the higher benefits of uh, intermittent fasting. We're talking about massive amounts of inflammation reduction, um, sensitivity to your insulin levels. Um, you're probably going to get some, uh, re re I don't even know what the proper term is that I'm looking for for this, but basically, uh, I think it's cell autophagy. Is that the word I'm looking for? Basically when your cells, um, die off and rebuild. Um, so I'm going to look it up right now just to make sure I'm not just pulling bullshit out of my, uh, out of my head. So autophagy is the natural regulated mechanism of the cell that disassembles unnecessary or dysfunctional components. I believe this is exactly what I'm talking about. Basically, we're looking at rebuilding cells, right? In our body, we have millions and millions and millions of cells, um, and a lot of them can create disease. They can create toxins. They can create inflammation. They can create a lot of different things. Um, And it's good to regenerate cells. That's one of the biggest benefits of fasting is that we get this cell regeneration. Um, So and that actually might help your recovery process. Not to mention if we even just look at your caloric balance for a weekly intake, you're creating a big deficit once a week. So if you could do that once a week, I would probably suggest that as well. Um, That's probably going to be your best bets as far as uh, 
as far as your diet goes. Higher protein, lower carb, moderate to high fat, um, maybe adding in uh, once a week um, fasting. All right, so we have another question from Eli, Eli James Maddelson from Facebook. How do you feel about an advanced natural trainer in a hypertrophy phase using a body part split every fifth day? Example would be Monday chest day, Tuesday back day, Wednesday legs, Thursday shoulders, Friday arms, and then it repeats starting on Saturday chest, Sunday back, etc. Four to six week phase. I understand no rest days, but classic bodybuilding isn't very fatiguing for an advanced lifter. What are your thoughts? So here's what I would say. I would say a couple things. One – I do not think it's best to take uh, no rest days at all. I think if you're lifting that heavy, it's not about um, – I understand that bodybuilding isn't very fatiguing and I do understand that um, you know, you're splitting up your body parts. So you're not crossing too many too often. Um, but there's a couple things we need to look at here. Number one is an example would be like your lats. Your lats are involved in proper bench pressing, proper pressing in general. Um, so you're doing chest on Monday. You're going to hit your lats a little bit. Tuesday, you're doing back. You're going to hit them again. Wednesday, legs. I'm assuming you're going to do some kind of deadlift or any lower body exercise where you're stabilizing with your back. You're probably going to fire your uh, lats again. Thursday, you go into shoulders. If you're doing overhead pressing, you might fire those again. So now we're hitting our lats quite often. Our shoulders are going to be involved on Monday, possibly on back day. Um, Depending if you're doing front squats, they're probably going to be a little bit involved on the leg day. Thursday, you're hitting shoulders again. So you're you're still crossing some muscles and you have to consider that. Um, Even though bodybuilding isn't super fatiguing, if you do not take a rest day, it's only a matter of time before your nervous system does burn out. And even if it doesn't, I still believe you'd get more benefit from taking at least one rest day. So maybe you go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday rest, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday rest, and every fourth day you're taking a rest day. The truth of the matter is when we take a rest day and we leave the gym, we are resensitizing to a lot of things that we do in the gym. We are regenerating hormones. We are allowing our nervous system to calm down and replenish itself. We are making sure that our body is actually adapting from a hormonal, a neurological, and a muscular skeleton system's perspective. So it's pretty important to take a rest day, plain and simple. I wouldn't recommend it. Besides those two things – um, if all volume is equated, I think you would be good to go. The, the research shows that whether you do a bro split like this, whether you do an upper lower split, you do a push pull leg split, it doesn't really matter. Full body, none of that really matters as long as volume is equated for. The hard part is, and this is where we have to look at science and then we have to look at what's applicable and practical to clients is if we're doing a full body program and we are going to hit – and they've done this in studies. We're going to hit the same amount of volume that you get in a push-pull leg split for example. You're going to be doing full body workouts for two hours straight at least three or four days a week. Um, and now you're just burning your central nervous system out. You're, you're taxing your hormones because you're in the gym for so long and that's just not feasible for a normal lifestyle schedule. Um, if you're doing a a bro split like this, where you're doing chest, back, leg, shoulders, arms, now you're, you're probably not going to get as much volume because you're not going to be able to progress or manage fatigue throughout the session. And what I mean by that is if I'm doing Monday and Thursday chest day or push day or whatever it may be, if I'm hitting chest on both of those days, it's going to be easier for me to keep my volume up because my loads are going to be higher. If I start Monday at a chest day and I do bench five by five, 
I'm already fatigued. My chest is already fatigued. Now I'm going to go to an incline press. I'm already kind of fatigued, but I can still manage to keep loads pretty high. Now I'm going to go to a fly variation. And then maybe I finish with another fly variation, right, or a dip or something like that. The point is, is as I trickle down the workout, as I go through the session, my fatigue is getting higher. Therefore, my loads are going lower. Therefore, my weekly volume is dropping. And now I'm not going to hit chest for another five days, six days. Probably not going to help me get as much volume as I could if I was doing chest twice a week because if I split that volume up, each session I might be doing less, but weekly I'm doing the same amount of reps and sets. But because I'm splitting it up into two sessions, my volume is higher due to my load being higher. So you can actually program one chest day versus two push days where you're getting chest on both days. And you can do the exact same amount of volume from a sets and rep perspective. But your volume will almost 100% be higher on a split where you're doing it multiple times a week because your loads can be greater because you're not as fatigued going through the sessions. So I think it's, I, I think it's suboptimal to do a classic bodybuilding split like that because I do not think your volume from a load perspective will be as high. I think you're going to be more fatigued. Um, I just don't think it's optimal with all the science that we have coming out, uh, especially with just the act of frequency alone. We got to remember that there's a like putting volume aside, putting the loads you use in intensity aside, there is an anabolic response just from activating the muscle. Right? So if you look at the science, the scientific principles of building muscle tissue, there is a response that happens every time you do a bench press, every time you activate that pec, every time those muscle fibers have to fire. Right? So that alone sends a signal to your body to be anabolic and to grow. So even if you match volume, you match loads, everything else is equated for, I still think it's suboptimal because your frequency is only once per week of direct attention. And therefore, the anabolic signal is not being sent to the muscle to grow as frequently. So I still think twice a week for each muscle group is going to be the best. Um, I think it's better than three times a week. Like for, for sh- building muscle, I don't like a full body approach. For building strength or fat loss, I love a full, full body approach. I actually prefer a full body approach when we're talking about having fun. I do think they're more fun um, and just enjoy them. But um, when we're talking about building muscle, I do think two times a week is the sweet spot. You hit the frequency. It's easier to get enough volume and intensity. Um, and then on top of that, it still gives you enough volume per day per muscle that you can sit there and focus and get a pump. Meaning if I'm doing a full body, I might do one exercise for my chest each day that I'm in the gym versus an upper lower split, I might do two or three, which allows me to sit there and get a pump and really feel the muscle work, which I do think has some benefit and some merit for the mind muscle connection, which is important for all this. Um, so long winded answer, but I think that's kind of, uh, kind of where I would go with that. All right, let's keep moving through these. That was a really good question. Eric Gaelic. Approach to mindset in the gym as we age and chances of matching and or surpassing old strength PRs are no longer realistic. This is something I have had to do an ego check on as I'm nearing my 40s. Um, set new goals. I think that's the biggest thing. There's a few things that I would be looking at. So as you age, I think your priorities should change from strength numbers to movement quality. I think that in aesthetics, I think that like, you know, I don't care if you're 30, 40, 50, you can get just as lean as you could when you were 20, 25, 
18. It doesn't matter. Um, you can, you still can get just as lean. In fact, some of the best bodybuilders, I just had Jeff Alberts on the show and we talked about this. The best bodybuilders, um, are typically in their late thirties, forties, sometimes even fifties because they're seasoned. They've been doing this for a long time. They not, might not be building as much muscle, but they have the capability of getting just as lean. Their skin is a little thinner and nine times out of 10, they look better to be honest with you. So I think if you could shift your priorities and kind of Focus on maybe getting lean to reveal the muscle mass that you built in your younger years when you were hitting strength PRs. I think you're going to be better off. Um, I also think that focusing on a movement perspective and a form and a quality and attention, I think that's the best way to go. You know, like if you could, if you used to be able to squat 405 and you know you're not going to beat that, well, why not try an 80% load? I don't know what that would be, but let's say you throw 315 on the bar. Can you control that for five seconds down? Perfect. Progress to six seconds, then seven seconds, then eight seconds, then nine seconds, and then add weight and go back to six seconds, right? That's a progression, and it's a progression based on control and muscular tension, and I think doing things like that um, are still not only capable uh, as you get older, but I also think that they they just kind of take your mind off of needing that number to grow, you know what I mean? If you're not a power lifter, then realistically don't need that number to grow as much. Um, Now, there is something to say about, you know, even if you are approaching your 40s, you may not be able to build as much muscle, but you absolutely can build just as much strength. Strength is a very neurological thing. So is your diet in check? Are your stress levels in check? Um, Are you doing too much volume? So maybe you just need to drop the volume a little bit and up the intensity. So you can still lift in those heavy loads, just drop the volume so you can actually recover from it neurologically. And I can almost guarantee that you're going to see just as much strength gains as you were before. So I think that's super important. Um, just just shifting your perspective and getting a little bit more intelligent. You know, I, I do believe that intelligent programming is, is extremely smart. Um, and this is why I'm really passionate about helping other trainers learn how to program properly. Because it, it just makes such a difference in everybody's results. But as you get older, I think it's even more important to double down and invest in really intelligent training program design. Like it comes into play. And if you can focus on some different goals, you can take your mind away from those strength PRs so much. You can take your mind away from building as much muscle as possible. And you can enjoy training for what it is. Um, get leaner. Focus on quality of movements. So on and so forth. Um, and even – and again, like go listen to the Jeff Alberts podcast. You know, He's – I don't know how old he is, but I know he's in his 40s and he's a great bodybuilder, but he still makes progress in the gym. They don't come as often and he's not making progress on his lateral raises anymore, but he's still making squat PRs and bench PRs and bent row PRs and stuff like that. It just takes a little bit longer. So his programming needs to be a little bit more in tune with his body and what he can do. Um, and I think recovery steps up. So the mindset would be is is that – you not being able to progress is really just a false story in your mind. It just takes longer. You know, newbies in the gym are going to progress real quick. Experienced lifters who are getting older, it's going to take longer. Even for me, I'm 26 and I've been lifting for a long time. I've been lifting for eight years. I don't make PRs that quickly anymore. It takes me weeks and weeks and weeks to hit a five to 10 pound PR and I love it and I'm pumped about it. So I'm focusing on all the other things I can do. How do my joints feel during this movement? How slow can I control this down? What's my depth like? How do I feel the next day? Am I optimizing recovery? Like so on and so forth. Um, can I lift as much as I, I once did 
while being leaner. Like that's a big, big win for me. So I think, uh, I think just shifting your priorities. And again, it goes back to that first principle I talked about on the show. Like can't is just a made up word. All right. So Eric Gaelic has another question. This is a funny one. If your house was on fire and your entire family has already made it to safety, what do you grab in the 30 seconds before you exit? Man. How many things can I grab in 30 seconds? That's the hard part. I wish you gave me a number of what I could grab. Um, If I had to name one thing off the top of my head, it would be my laptop. Um, My laptop has all my work, all my client information, uh, everything I do. Right. And, uh, I mean, I have my Dropbox on here. I have my, which I guess I could get anywhere, but I also have a lot of files on here, which now that I think about it, I should probably back that shit up to a hard drive. Um, I have a lot of pictures on my, my computer of great times with old friends and family and my daughter. Like I I would have to grab my laptop. Um, but if I had a couple things I could grab, let me think I would grab my laptop. I would grab, uh, I'm looking around the office right now. I'd probably grab my laptop. I really think that would be it. I mean, if my phone was with me, hopefully. If not, let it burn. I don't care. Grab my grab my laptop. And uh, I have a necklace I would probably grab um, that Shannon gave me that all the men in her family wear. Uh, I would grab that because it doesn't really – I don't wear it much. It's sitting on the frame. I would grab the necklace. I'd grab my laptop and uh, – Honestly, that's it. I don't really care about anything else too much besides my family. I think as long as I have them and I have these things, um, I'd be good. I'd be really bummed out about my uh, about my my garage gym burning down, but I can't really grab that shit. So <laughs> it's going down with the flames. Uh, so yeah, the laptop is going to be number one. That's for damn sure. Adrian Frank Ling, do you count collagen powder toward your macros? Or not, since it's a supplement. One serving is 11 grams. So there's a, the way I look at collagen is a little bit different than most things. Now, most quote-unquote supplements, I would count. If they have calories, you count it towards your macros, plain and simple. Um, fish oil, pre-workouts, whatever you're taking, protein powders, all that stuff counts. It doesn't matter that it's a supplement or food. Calories are calories. The thing about collagen is that collagen is an incomplete protein. So I would count it towards my calories, but I would only count it towards my daily protein intake if I am already at at least 0.8 grams per pound of, of body weight in protein. Meaning if you are hitting 0.8 grams per pound of body weight, then I don't think it matters um, if it counts towards your protein because you're already getting the bare minimum. So if you weigh 200 pounds and you're already hitting 160 or more grams of protein, yeah, throw it in there. It's not going to be that big of a deal because it's only 11 grams. Um, I don't like when people use um, four servings of collagen to replace protein in a meal because collagen's branch chain amino acid profile is just kind of poor when it comes to building muscle and creating that muscle protein synthesis signal. It's great for joint health and for gut issues and for tendons and ligaments and inflammation and stuff like that. All the stuff that we know collagen to be good for, skin, hair. Uh, but it's not a quality protein source when it comes to building muscle, creating an anabolic signal, so on and so forth. So I probably wouldn't um, count it unless you're already hitting um, at least 0.8 grams per pound of body weight through 
better bioavailable protein sources like lean meat, dairy, eggs, fish, stuff like that. Ben Steele, underscore Ben Steele from Instagram said, top fitness icons. Man, top fitness icons. It's funny because I don't really, you know, I don't follow like fitness icons and like, uh, that's not really my thing. Um, I don't have a bunch of people in the industry who I'm like, I really look up to. I mean, that's, that's a lie. I do. But, um, I would say Joe DeFranco would be one for sure. Joe DeFranco is somebody who, um, Joe DeFranco is, I've always just really respected him. He's very intelligent. I love the way he programs. I program very similar to him, uh, partially because I learned a lot from his style of programming. Um, His training is great. He works with some of the highest level athletes, WWE, professional football, college, all these different people. Um, He's very transparent and authentic. Like he doesn't bullshit very down-to-earth approach when he does. I love his podcast. I love his, his content. I've just been following him for a really long time. I really admire his work as a businessman as well. Um, and I admire his dedication to being a trainer. You know, like I think as my business grows, it, it's you kind of have to start understanding a leadership role and start considering, you know, that you are running a business, you're creating a team, you need to support that team, your, your role shifts, um, who you are shifts, uh, your responsibility shift, who you need to become kind of shifts. But I've never wanted to let go of coaching. It's what I love. It's what I do. It's, it's, I still coach a lot of people on training and nutrition. Um, even though I'm building a brand and I'm coaching other coaches and I'm, I'm, I have coaches on my team that work underneath me, I just don't think I could ever let go of coaching because beside everything else in this world and everything else that my business does for us is that's what I love to do. That's my passion. That's why I started this is to work with people and help them change their body. So I respect him because he's still that way. You know, he has a huge business. He has a huge podcast. He has very successful products. He probably doesn't have to still coach people right now, but he does because that's what he loves to do. And I really respect that. Um, and I idolize that because that's, you know, that's who I am and who I believe I need to stay, um, rather than need to become. Um, so he would be one, um, Christian Thibodeau, uh, which has been cool because he's actually a friend now, which has been really awesome because um, we actually communicate quite frequently now. And he's obviously been on the show multiple times. I've met him multiple times in person. He's another one that I've always looked up to. I mean, I was reading his shit on Teenation when I was 18. Um, so the fact that I get to communicate with him regularly and I can reach out to him and ask for advice is really, really humbling. It's really, really cool. Um, and I've just learned so much from him in so many different realms. Like that guy is so smart. I mean, his neurotyping system has been a game changer, but I mean, whether we're talking about carbs or protein or micronutrients or CrossFit or powerlifting or weightlifting or bodybuilding, like that guy is the guy to go to. So, um, Christian Thibodeau is definitely one of my top fitness icons. Um, it's just kind of the icing on top that I get to actually communicate with them. Um, I'm going to throw Charles, Charles Poliquin in there because, um, you know, RIP Charles, like I'm still kind of in shock that he just passed away, but he's a legend. I mean, that guy invented and created so many methods and strategies and principles inside the strength world that it's just 
insane. It's overwhelming to know how much he influenced and how many people he influenced in this space, um, Christian Thibodeau being one of them. Um, so he's definitely a fitness icon that I look up to that I've been, I've been looking into his content for years. Um, he's a legend. So he's definitely one. Um, I'm going to try to give you five. Joe DeFranco, Christian Thibodeau, Charles Poliquin. Um, I'm going to say, uh, and you know what's funny is these are less of icons and just more of people in the industry that I look up to. And, and the reason I say they're less of icons is because none of these people care about how big their Instagram is or being a fitness influencer and shit like that. They care about what they do. They love what they do and that's coach and they deliver so much valuable information. These are just people that I've learned so much from over the years and I still learn from. So that's why I'm naming these people. Number four would be Eric Helms. Um, I've taken in so much information from Eric Helms. He's extremely smart when it comes to training and nutrition and uh, he just puts out so much great content. I've talked to him before and He's a really, really nice down-to-earth guy, um, which is always great when you know that. Um, they're willing to talk to you, but he is somebody that I've been watching his YouTube videos, buying his eBooks. Um, I've gone through some of his his uh, courses in the 3DMJ Volt, listen to his podcast. He's definitely up there um, in my fitness icons. Um, so that makes four. So I got one more. Um, Part of me wants to say Joe Rogan, but I don't. He's not really a fitness icon, but I just really look up to him and everything he does. Really, um, very successful guy. Um, fitness icons. I only have one more, so I don't want it to be anybody who I don't really, really believe to be. Man, this is harder than I thought it would be. Um. I don't know if I can pick five. Maybe I'm just gonna pick four. I'm I'm drawing a blank. Um, there's a there's a lot of people on my mind that I would love to say like you know I really look up to like Jason Ferugia, uh, Ben Pakulski, Mark Bell, um, Lane Norton. There's a lot of people I've learned from and and I really enjoy digging into. But I wouldn't consider them icons because they're not somebody that I've just like consumed all of their content with. Um, I will say though, you know what, I'll throw Jason Frugia in there because I've consumed so much information from that guy and he was one of the first people that influenced me to have an online business. I actually looked at, it's funny, I found a vision board the other day and he was on it. Um, it was like a super old picture of him crossing his arms with like a low hat on, all tatted up, looking badass and it was like uh, the renegade, the original renegade inner circle picture and I put him on there because he ran an online business and he had a membership site, the, the Renegade Inner Circle. And that's what I wanted. And to know that I actually have both of those now, I have my own membership site, the Boom Boom Elite. And I have uh, obviously my website, my, my business that's online. It's, it's really humbling and it's really cool. Uh, just to see that evolution, I looked at the vision board and, and saw that I accomplished a lot of things on there. And he was one of those things, him and Nate Green. Um, but him especially because I related to him more. He listened to all the same music as me. He liked to lift like I did. He had the same philosophies I did. I learned a ton from him. So I would definitely put Jason Frugia in there as well. All right. We'll squat for pizza from Instagram. Intuitive eating. How to start, how to how slash when to transition, habits to create, and how to create them. So I'm going to refer to Courtney's video, which I'll link here in the description. Um, but... 
she did a video on transitioning from macros to intuitive eating. So how to start, how, when to transition and habits to create and how to create them. I honestly think that tracking macros is the key to intuitive eating. I don't think you can intuitively eat unless you learn, you know, how to look at food labels, how to understand what are protein, carbs, and fats. What does uh, four ounces of chicken look like? How big is that in relation to your hand? Um, How much does uh, a tablespoon of olive oil look like? Because that's a lot of calories that people just dump olive oil all over a pan and they're eating 20 plus grams of fat with their chicken breast and they don't even realize it because they're dumping olive oil all over a pan when in reality you only need a teaspoon to cook something with. So I think tracking macros is actually the best way to transition into intuitive eating. I think there's kind of like this pyramid or this mountain where you start with, you know, setting your goal and tracking just calories and then you track protein and calories and then you track carbs and fats and this is all happening as you're climbing up this mountain. Um, And at a certain point, while you're tracking full-blown macros, carbs, fats, protein, and calories, you reach the pinnacle of the mountain, which is your goal. And as you try to maintain that and you start going down the other side of the mountain because you're done with your hike, you actually start removing things. So now you're tracking just protein and calories and then eventually you track just calories and then eventually you track protein and calories every two weeks just to see, make sure you're on point. Maybe every week you do it once just to make sure you're on point. Um, and then eventually you don't do it at all because you know how to do this stuff intuitively. So I think the best habits to form um, when it comes to intuitive eating is actually to track macros first. That's how you get into it. That's how you learn. That's how you build the habits of understanding moderation and, and portion control and food uh, terminology and, and nutrient labels and how to read them and so on and so forth. So I, I truly be, believe that's the biggest key. Endless alignment, endless underscore alignment, and the E's are threes on Instagram. Oh, this is great. First, I want to state that you are truly one of a kind. You are changing the fitness world and the way health and performance will be viewed overall. I truly admire and appreciate the fuck out of you. Thank you, dude. That means a lot. Um, That's some enthusiasm in your voice, man. That always feels good when people (laughs) say shit like that to me. So thank you very much, man, and I appreciate you following. With that being said, you spoke on how knowing – he has a question too, guys. With that being said, you spoke on how knowing both sides of the spectrum, both experience and science, is beneficial. You mentioned that it allows you to take many different approaches as needed, and I truly agree. But when do you know you are being too flexible with a client? Example, if they don't like tracking macros and resent it, what would an approach be to that? How do you – how flexible – how and how flexible can you get? So this is where you know I think it's, it's all context-specific. I actually just had a conversation with a client this morning about not tracking macros anymore because it was overwhelming to them and they were beginning to resent it and it is what it is. For some people, that's how it is. There is no one right way and I think that's the whole point of what I said with you know, you need to be good on both sides of the spectrum. You need to understand the science and you need to understand experience and application because the truth is is some people just won't do good with macros. Like I'll be completely transparent with you guys. I could track macros for the next five years and I would have no issue with it um, and I truly believe that because – I don't, you know, there's certain days where like like on Saturday sometimes I'm, I just take a break from it, but I'm pretty good at intuitive eating, but I enjoy tracking my macros. It helps me live the what I preach to clients. It helps me adjust and make sure I'm fueled for my training. Um, it makes me keep my caloric balance intake proper so I don't get fat. 
I prefer to track macros. I like the numbers. I like the science. I like the accountability to myself with the numbers. It just works for me. Some people, they could not even imagine tracking for five years. And I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's their preference. That's practical for them or not practical for them. So I think that, you know, if somebody ever says the words they resent tracking, you just need to meet them where they're at and, uh, and adjust accordingly. Maybe go to a handful style approach. Maybe go to a more habitual approach. Um, and, and before I go that route, I will say that I've had clients who say, you know, I'm starting to get burnt out on tracking. And I've talked them into continuing because we're on a fat loss goal. Like we set a specific goal. We're making progress. They are getting a little burnt out mentally. So I will suggest, hey, let's take a weekend break. Hey, let's take a diet break. Let's, let's just push a few more weeks and then we'll cut my fitness pal out for a week or two and then get back to it. But, you know, we are making a lot of progress. There's really no reason to stop because things are going so well. I just want to encourage you and say, like, I get it and let, let's just try our best. So sometimes you do need to talk the client into it. But if somebody is, like, really, really frustrated, they're not making progress and the reason they're not making progress is because they are so stressed out, anxious, or overwhelmed with all the numbers and tracking. At that point, you need to look at just building habits, right? Like, let's let's practice portion control. Send me an email every night with your, your – like, this is something I do with my intuitive eaters. Every night, I just want you to plan out your next day. Like, we know the principles of eating. I want you to have a protein source in every meal. I want you to have a small fat source in every meal. Maybe this person have carbs in every meal. Maybe in one meal. Maybe no carbs. Maybe carbs pre and post-workout. We kind of adjust those accordingly. Um, we give guidelines on them. And I just want them to send me an email with their example meal plan for the next day. Plan out what you're going to eat tomorrow and just send me an email with those meals. I just want to see that you have a plan. I want to see that that plan goes along with what your outcome is so we can make sure we're moving in the right direction. Something as simple as that. And with flexibility, man, like tracking is nice because you can be pretty flexible. With intuitive eating, flexibility becomes harder because you need to understand that if you add in something that's very high sugar or high processed fat and sugar combination, highly palatable, which is not the best combination – alcohol, anything calorically dense, you need to understand that like, okay, I'm going to need to eat less fatty meats. I'm going to need to take the oil out of this pan and and cook with some spray or cook with less oil or um, bake it or I need to do egg whites instead of whole eggs or I need to cut back on my starches by 50% today. Do something to make up for those calories even though you're not tracking. So you need to be aware of those things and that's what I teach people. I don't believe in a cheat day. I don't believe in a flexible day. I don't believe any of that shit. I just think that if you can teach them the proper habits so when you know it comes up and you decide that you guys are going to go get a burger like, and you want to go do that because it's family time or whatever it may be, go enjoy that burger but understand that if you can plan for that at night – then in the morning you need to drop calories down to make up for it or the next day you need to drop calories back a little bit to, to balance out for your weekly caloric intake. And I think that's the biggest thing, man, is like there's there's no like one way fits all because every client is different. So you kind of have to uh, adjust along the way. All right. So we have another question on Facebook This from Jana Cruz Jan, – sorry, Jana Kunz for a ketogenic diet. Keto supplements are usually high, highly recommended. But shouldn't we be able to consume all our nutrients through food? Hearing about the importance of supplements makes me question if a ketogenic diet is really that sustainable and optimal. So we got to remember that like 
Keto supplements are for two things. Number one, to help you produce more ketones while you're in ketosis. Number two, to help you produce ketones while you're in a fasted state. And three, to just help your body be more metabolically flexible, probably create more ketones, which can be used as fuel, so on and so forth. Uh, Maybe even on a low-carb diet. Like they're starting to show that you don't need to be in ketosis to create ketones through ketone supplementation. I don't know how much I buy into it yet because the science and literature is just very minimal on this topic so far. Um, But – Some of them are, you know, there's a lot of noise around ketone supplements and them being pretty legit. So I'm not knocking them completely. Um, But yeah, keto supplements are usually highly recommended. So what I would say is like for for people following a ketogenic diet, the reason they use ketones is number one, it can help them tap into ketosis a little bit faster. So it's more of an impatience thing. So what you want to consider is like I'm going into ketosis. This is going to take time. It takes time to get your body fully adapted to ketosis. Um, and because of that, some people don't want to wait. You know, we don't want to wait weeks. Sometimes people take months just to get into ketosis. So for those people, they might want to take ketone supplements so that they can jump into ketosis a little bit quicker. Um, some people practice intermittent fasting. And part of intermittent fasting is your body actually starts to produce ketones while you're in a fasted state. So for those people, sometimes they're like, hey, I want to jump the gun. I want to speed this up. I am going to supplement with ketones while I'm fasted to give me a little bit more energy to get my body burning a little bit more fat for fuel in this ketogenic state, um, so on and so forth. Um, so by no means do you need like a ketogenic diet came way before ketones. What ketones did is double down on the effect of ketosis. So they saw that when you're in ketosis, your body produces ketones. Maybe we can make a supplemental version of this and we can sell that and market it. So in smart, really smart to whoever created the first ketone supplement, but it's basically a supplement to try to mimic the effect that ketosis has. So by no means do you need ketone supplements in order to be on a ketogenic diet. Now, you mentioned it makes you question whether this is sustainable or not. If you're questioning uh, a ketogenic diet's sustainability just based on the fact that you think you need supplements to run it, then I would say that that's probably not correct because again, like I just said, you don't need ketone supplements in order to do a ketogenic diet by any means. You just need to go into ketosis. You need to remove carbs, so on and so forth, balance out your macros to the right ratios, so on and so forth. But If you look at ketogenic diets from a sustainability factor, it might not be that sustainable because it's hard to consume only fats and a low amount of protein. I mean you have to even – you can't even eat too much meat on a ketogenic diet because too much protein will create gluconeogenesis, which is the process your body takes protein and tries to make glycogen out of it, which is not an efficient process, but it takes you out of ketosis. So you need to monitor how much protein you get. You can't have carbs. Um, Once you tap into ketosis, which again, some people have said they've jumped into ketosis in a matter of two to three weeks, which I highly doubt because most literature says that you need at least four to six weeks, um, maybe even six to eight. Some people even take eight to 12 weeks to get into full ketosis where they actually start producing an optimal amount of ketones and feeling good. But, But the point of that is is Some people can actually have refeed days while they're in ketosis and jump back into ketosis pretty quickly, meaning you can do a ketogenic diet Sunday through Friday and then Saturday have a high carb day and then you know Sunday you're not going to be in ketosis but Monday you jump right back into it because your body has adapted so well to the fats that it can hop back into ketosis pretty quickly. But the problem with that is is it takes a long time for your body to be able to do that. You need to become extremely used to jumping into ketosis in order to do that. So you won't be able to – 
start a ketogenic diet and have a refeed day once a week right when you start. It's going to take a long time. Therefore, from a sustainability factor, from a flexibility factor, I'm not a big fan because it's just very hard to completely eliminate any one macronutrient. On top of that, I don't believe it's healthy. You shouldn't – like every macronutrient we take in, carbs, fats, and protein, they all serve their own purpose. They all have their different – their, their own difference in nutrient availability. They all have their own difference in what they provide us with to live, to thrive, to survive, so on and so forth. Um, and because of that, I think they all serve a very great purpose within our diet. And I don't think we should cut anyone out. I don't think a low-fat diet's good. I don't think a low-protein diet's good. And I don't think a low-carb diet's good. I think they can all have their purpose and their place because sometimes a low-carb diet does have a good effect. Um, I went on a lower-fat diet for my photo shoot because I was cutting calories. It was a temporary thing. That's okay. But from a longevity and a sustainability con- component, I don't think cutting out any one macronutrient is a, is a smart idea whatsoever. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.